0: 7 to 18, so Colossians 4, 7 to 18 and this is entitled Final Greetings. Tychius will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristasis, sends you his greetings as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jen.
1: We'll come to... uh, Good morning, everyone. I'm just waiting for this lovely lady to get to the front. During the week, we had a couple in our church celebrate their 60th wedding anniversary. Tony and Janet. Anyway, these are not for you. Uh, (laughs) They are on your feet. Give us a kiss. Mm, bless you. You. Give us a kiss <laughs> you. Bless you mate you. Bless you both you. We'll pray for these guys eh? How about you all stand You haven't stood for half an hour Let's stand <clears throat> Go on, hold hands <laughs> Heavenly Father We want to thank you for Tony and for Janet For their love for you For their love for each other for their faithful service in this church and in previous churches and in the wider ministry of the work of your kingdom bless them in their relationship and their marriage bless their children their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren we thank you for them we commit them to you now in Jesus name and everybody said
0: amen amen, amen. blessings Yesterday, it was announced that they're about to have
1: a great, great grandchild. A great, great grandchild. Is that right? No? Somebody said that yesterday. No,
0: great Thanks grandchild. Great
1: man. Thanks, John, for uh, sharing, <laughs> participating. Thanks, <John>. Yeah, terrific. <laughs> False teaching in the church. <laughs> it's very cheeky, wasn't it? Uh, welcome, if you're here for the first time this Sunday, then we're glad that you are here with us and we're quite sure that the Lord who overrules all things has a purpose in you being here this morning. We trust that whatever that purpose is, that is fulfilled in your life. We find ourselves at the end of our series on the book of Colossians. It's been about a nine, ten week journey and I'm not sure about you, but I've certainly enjoyed the process. Um, there are some highlights in this book of Colossians and significantly exalting the Lord Jesus. This morning, as you've already heard and read, we come to this final section of the letter, which is a whole list full of names. It'll be interesting to see what God says to us through it, isn't it? Let's pray again. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for brothers and sisters. And Father, we pray now that you would combine all of these means of grace to us, that you would speak truth to us and shape our lives and help us to be better brothers and sisters together and more passionate followers of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, a believer, then you're part of his body. I've got this thing I get to drive. (laughs) da <laughs> It's a team effort. <clears throat> Being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is not a lone ranger affair. We need one another's support. And that truth certainly comes out in this passage. Before I get to the passage, I wanted to remind you, have you heard of this rule before, the Pareto Principle, the 80-20 rule? Primarily it means it was discovered by a professor in Italy who made, wrote a paper and who made an observation that uh, he discovered that 80% of the land of Italy was owned by about 20% of the people. That's what opened his eyes to it, and then he found in his own garden that 80% of the peas that were produced by his pea pods were coming from 20% of those pea pods. Interesting, isn't it? And then others have taken it, and now you can look it up on Wikipedia and you'll find it's got the principle applied through business, through economics, through all sorts of institutions and principles. Businesses and, uh, you know, 80% of your profits come from 20% of your customers, that sort of thing. 80% of the effective things we do as a church probably comes from 20% of the things we do. Some things are really significant, have a big impact, and other things have less of an impact, uh, but we still are involved in doing them. The 80-20 principle. What that principle reminds me of is when you apply it to the church is that 20% of the work of the church is being done effectively, uh, 80% of the work of the church is being done effectively by 20%. So that's one in five. So it means that when it's applied to the church, that there's either a lot of people who are either not involved, not participating, or who are not being effective in what they're doing. Imagine a body, and the church is a body, but imagine a human body, where 80% of it was not functioning. Well, quadriplegics can still function, still have effective lives and meaningful lives and do effective and meaningful things, but they're limited. So too for the church. You can still function, but you'll be limited. Imagine what it would be like if 100% of the members were actively involved and participating. Imagine what sort of church that would be where servants of Jesus, followers of Jesus, consecrated themselves and their gifts and were using it in his kingdom. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's something you have to get involved in. It's just not something you believe, but it's something that uh, assimilates into your life. Bud Wilkinson, who was a one-time coach of an Oklahoma football team back in the 60s, I think, a long time ago, was once asked a question by a reporter saying, uh, Coach Wilkinson, can you tell us how effective has American football, the NFL, how effective has American football been in the development of health and fitness in the, in the country of America? to which Bud Wilkinson says uh, football hasn't contributed anything to the fitness and health of America. Uh, Please explain, the reporter said. He said you've got 22 men on the field desperately in need of rest and you've got 22,000 people in the stands desperately in need of exercise. (laughs) Could be a little bit like the church, can't it? So one of the questions for you this morning is where are you at in terms of your participation in the life of This church, Christianity, is not a spectator sport. Of course, Satan's strategy for you is to attack you, to target you, to upset you, to hurt you, to knock you out. Now, if you find yourself here this morning, that you are in that situation, that you've been hurt, offended, knocked out by whatever reasons or circumstances of following the Lord Jesus... It's okay to take time out, and it's okay to have wounds healed, and it's okay to be there on the one that's receiving end of ministry. That's perfectly acceptable, of course. But if you're still there after years, something is wrong. Something's not right. You're not dealing with the hurt, the pain, the process, the offense. You need to be moving on beyond that and get back in the saddle. You need to step up yet again. Well in this passage that the Apostle Paul has written to us, it contains certainly a bunch of names, hard to pronounce and that we would probably pronounce differently one from the other. Maybe hard for us to connect with some of these individuals because we don't know too much about them. So why would God give us a list of names? We want to see this morning what we can discover together through looking at this passage, but it's certainly worth noticing this that in this very short letter, the Apostle Paul writes to the Colossian Church, he spends one verse talking about sexual immorality. He spends one verse talking about greed. He spends one verse where he talks about anger. He spends one verse, one verse talking about wives. One verse talking about husbands. One verse talking about fathers and children. And he writes 12 verses when it comes to talking about this list of friends, people, names. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's a team effort. That's the point, I think, of this passage. The Spirit of God has inspired it and put it in the scriptures for us to reflect upon that sort of truth. The church is not a one man show. Spreading of Christianity in the first century was not just up to the Apostle Paul, but here was a list of people who were on team with him, serving with him. The church is not a one man show, it's a team. What was the kids club team, T-E-A-M? I remembered it slightly differently. Together, everyone accomplishes more. Oh, I had achieves, doesn't matter. But accomplishes is the original text, so we better go with that one. Together, everyone achieves, oh, whoops, accomplishes more. It's quite true, isn't it? You can do more together than you can never do by yourself. Us combining forces, us combining energy and support to one another. The church God has gifted and wants it to be a a team. So let's sit on the wall and have a look at these people whom the Apostle Paul uh, names. We'll work our way through the passage quickly, well reasonably quickly. But here is the breakdown of it as I read it. Verses 7 to 9 he talks in Paul's team about two messengers that he's sending. He's in prison in Rome and he's sending two guys, Tychicus Denizimus or however you say their names Uh, we'll come back to that two messengers then he talks about six colleagues and something interesting about those and then he at the end talks about not just those who are with him but friends he has in Colossae and in the other churches that he names and then the last verse he talks personally about his own situation let's have a look at Paul's team the two messengers Tychicus and Denizimus back in those days there was no male It's almost like us these days, isn't it? There's just about no mail. It was carried by hand. And so perhaps this is getting a bit of a a hurry up. Back in the day, when Rhonda and I were at Teachers College together, and we fell deeply in love with each other. When it came to the school holidays, the breaks at university, at college, she would head home to her farm and I would head home to Narendra, And the only way we had is staying in touch with each other because there were no mobiles in those days. No internet. You had landline. But she was on a farm. So the best way for us to stay in touch was smoke signals. <laughs> letters. We wrote letters. We were prolific letter writers. We wrote to each other every second day. And I think at some point we burnt those letters. We didn't keep them. Interesting. That's another story. They can say that for another sermon. And you would hang out. Now, you would get to the end. You knew that you had a deadline to meet if you wanted to, to get into the post for the next day to get there in whatever time. Maybe it's a bit like that with the Apostle Paul. While there's no postal service, there's no deadline like that, Tychicus did have to get on a boat, he did have to make a connection. Otherwise it could be days before, or maybe even weeks, before another boat vessel was going and whatever the timetable is. And so there could be a sense of Paul's hurrying at the end to get all this stuff down. And he's not writing it personally, he's dictating it. And he's looking around and he's walking around and he's seeing people and he's making comments about it. And that's what the significance of verse 18. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. It gets to the end of the letter and he writes, Paul. Grace as he often signs the ends of his letters with. So here is Tychicus, no male, but a very faithful person. Paul describes him in verse seven. Tychicus will tell all the news you wanna know about me. Why? So you can pray for me. That's the point. He is a dear brother, follower of the Lord Jesus, a faithful minister, not minister as in clergy, minister as in deacon, servant, a faithful servant and a fellow, the NIV says servant, but it could be translated slave. The Apostle Paul believed that Jesus Christ died for him and therefore his life was now owned by Jesus. Here is another person, Tychicus, who had exactly the same idea, that his life was not his own, that it was completely sold out to Christ, and that he was to be fully obedient to him. Tychicus is an incredible character to study. We won't spend too much time on him this morning, but he is often mentioned in the epistles. You read the end of Ephesians, it's Tychicus who's carrying that. It's Tychicus whom Paul sends to Crete to relieve Titus. It's Tychicus who goes to Ephesus to relieve Timothy. It's Tychicus, this guy who was a faithful servant, not an apostle, But one whom the Apostle Paul came to rely on very clearly. I'm sending him for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, verse 8, and that he may encourage your hearts, strengthen you, encourage you. When he comes, he'll be able to tell you all about me and my circumstances because he's very close to me. What's Paul eating? What's How's Paul sleeping? Uh, what are his plans for ministry? How are things going for him? How can we pray for him? Tychicus would be able to inform them. And then not only that, Tychicus was going to be coming back. So that Tychicus could come back and in turn, pass on the information from what's going on in Colossae back to the Apostle Paul. Who did you see? How are these people going? How's the church going? How are the new believers going? And then along with Tychicus, there is another person accompanying them, Anesimus. Anesimus, of course, is the runaway slave. You read about him in another letter, the book of Philemon. A couple of chapters over in your New Testaments. Anesimus was a slave to Philemon. Ran away. Philemon very well may have felt that he had failed him. Philemon's a Christian and this non-Christian slave has run away. And in the provident circumstances of God, Anesimus finds himself in Rome... And through some sort of divine circumstances, divine appointments, Anesimus runs into Paul. Ends up becoming a Christian. Soundly converted. Still a young believer. Paul describes him in verse 8. He is coming with Anesimus, our faithful and dear brother. He's a Christian and he's faithful, and he's also from there. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Notice that he doesn't say about Anesimus what he said about. In that he's not a fellow slave. He hasn't yet had the time to prove his ability. He hasn't yet done the hard yards of serving the Lord Jesus, of taking some knockbacks and some blows, and of standing faithfully in the midst of it all. And is just a young believer, growing, described as faithful, he's staying the course, he's true to the scriptures and the gospel, and he's a dear brother, he's one that we love but still to prove himself. Well, they're the two messages that the Apostle Paul is sending. And I guess one of the principles to draw from that is we can't live the Christian life on our own. The Apostle Paul certainly didn't try to. He wasn't a lone ranger Christian. He sent Tychicus to inform them of prayer just as he would be praying for them. We'll come back to that truth in a moment. Let's move on to these the next bit. The six colleagues that Paul names for us in verses 10, I think down to about 14, divides into two groups. Interestingly, the first three, verses 10 to 11, are Jewish Christians. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, cousin of Barnabas. Told you about him, he says. Verse 11, Jesus, who is now called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God and they've proved a comfort to me. These are the only Jewish believers who are with me, working in it. Of course, wherever the Apostle Paul went, he encountered a lot of Jewish opposition, and out of some of that opposition, there were converts, and now those three are still with him, supporting him in it. When I first read that, I thought, that's weird. Why would the Apostle Paul In this greeting, target those three particularly saying they're Jews and they're the only Jews who are with me. Why would he do that? Because everywhere else in the New Testament, you get him trying to move away from that distinction of saying that there is now no Jew or Gentile. All the barriers are broken down. So why is he introducing a barrier? I think he's doing it deliberately to emphasize a point. For us to take note... Something remarkable has happened on Paul's team. That there are Jews, but as you'll go on to talk about in a moment, 12 to 14, there are also Gentiles, the other three colleagues, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. Demas. Jew, Gentile, working together we've become sanitized to that, we've become used to that sort of thing, but a pagan person reading that or being aware of that in the very first century would be absolutely surprised by it, shocked by it, amazed by it. How could Jews be working with Gentiles? How is that possible on the same team? Jews won't even sit down at the table and eat with Gentiles, in fact Jews call Gentiles dogs And the Gentiles thought the Jews were just fussy and fanatical and weird, strange people. And of course the answer is the life transformational impact of the gospel. And that these people are now transformed by the grace of the Lord Jesus and are now serving him. Well let's have a look at these three Jews very quickly. Aristarchus we are told is a fellow prisoner. It would appear that Aristarchus who was named in Acts chapter 19 when there was a Ephesians rite for those of you who know that story he's one of the guys, he and Gaius the ones who got arrested they're the ones who got beaten up remember the story? the Jews wanted to come for the Apostle Paul but he sort of got missed got protected but Aristarchus and Gaius who were still in the house where they had been meeting got arrested and the Jews started belting into him to try and create a riot It's Aristarchus And it would appear now that Paul is back in Rome and under house arrest, it would appear that Aristarchus has gone looking for him. It appears that he voluntarily is now living with the Apostle Paul in his house in Acts 20, supporting him, comforting him. Aristarchus sends you greetings. He's a fellow prisoner. He's under house arrest with me. So does Mark the cousin of Barnabas. We haven't read about Mark for the 14 years in the New Testament. Mark is a failure. Mark, back in Acts chapter 13, is the guy who set out on the very first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, and who gets to the first leg of the way and chickens out, doesn't want to go any further, abandons the team, lets them down. When they get back and they're giving the report, Barnabas, looking after his relative Mark, wants to give him a second chance, and Paul is adamant, no, no. He failed on the first attempt. If we take him again, it's a big risk. Barnabas and Paul had a big row about that, and they parted ways. And we hear about Paul and Silas and their journey. We don't hear anything else about Barnabas, and we've never heard about Mark again until here. And now Mark is back in Rome with Paul, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him, about Mark. If he comes to you, welcome him. Wow. Previous failure, restored. And in fact, he's the guy who writes the gospel. And then thirdly, there is a guy called Jesus, who's now called Justice. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? What would you do if you were in the first century and your name was Jesus, and you became a follower of Jesus? What would you do with your name? Change it. That's what he probably did, probably added Jesus' justice to it. What if your name was Judas? Well, you'd change it, wouldn't you? Jesus had a brother called Judas. and he changed his name to Jude. If you were in Germany, I guess, and your name was Adolf, I guess you might change your name. Jesus, who is now called Justice also sends greetings these the only jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of god and they've proved a comfort to me they've strengthened me they've encouraged me they've supported me you can't do it alone you need other people having input into your life you need other people supporting you chasing you holding you to account you encouraging them them encouraging you We all need fellowship and support. We all go through periods where we get down or we get discouraged or we lose focus. We need others around us to support us and give us room to breathe. The Christians who fall tend to be the Christians who stand alone. That's worth thinking about. The Christians who name the name of Jesus and who fall tend to be the ones who tried to stand alone, tried to do it by themselves. That's a generalisation I appreciate, but it's generally true. Well, they're the three Jewish friends on teams, uh, Paul's team. What about the three Gentiles? Well, Epiphras, you've heard of before. He's probably the founding pastor of the church. But notice what it says about him, Epiphras, who is one of you and a servant, slave of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always, always, wrestling in prayer for you, that you'll stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Epiphras, in Rome, praying for the church in Colossae, that God would bless them, that help them understand God's will, help them to be mature, help them to make decisions based on God's will in their life. Epiphras has a very clear understanding that he can bless the church in Colossae, hundreds of miles away, Through prayer. Prayer makes a difference. And Epiphas is wrestling in prayer. Because it is a spiritual battle. It is a wrestle. And it does take effort and concentration. And he's praying that these Christians will stand fully mature in all the will of God perhaps a poor illustration but it's a bit like he is praying that a parent could have a child and the child could be obedient to the parent most of the time but sometimes the child is disobedient then imagine another child who is always obedient to the parents always does what the parent wants. Well, that's what Epiphras is praying for the Christians, that they will always be obedient. They will do the will of God perfectly, completely. That's what the word maturity is pointing to. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you, and not just for you, but for those in Laodicea, which is about 18 kilometers further up the road from Colossae, and for the ones in Hierapolis. Again, about another 8K, 6Ks further on, something like that. I vouch for him. He's working hard for you. It's interesting, uh, it's not worth spending a lot of time on, but if you go back to chapter 1, and if you look at the Apostle Paul's prayer from verse 9 and 10 and thereabouts, you'll find similar concepts, similar words. Question, was it epiphrasis prayer life that impacted Paul? Or was it Paul's prayer life that impacted Epiphras? No way of determining, but they obviously influenced each other because they're both praying exactly the same thing for the Christians in Colossae, to stand fully mature in all the will of God. Then of course there is probably Paul's personal doctor, Luke, the beloved physician. This is the place we learn that he is a physician, and he of course is the author of the Gospel and Acts and travelled with Paul and you can study Acts so that sometimes he's with Paul and sometimes there's a way but here and at the end of Paul's life Luke will be with him and then of course there is this mention of just this man who only has his name written our dear friend our beloved friend Luke the doctor and Demas send a greeting Demas I think I spelt that wrong Demas is mentioned twice, two other times. If you read Philemon, you'll find that he and Luke are again mentioned there. Whenever Demas is is mentioned, Luke is always mentioned. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you read the very sad occasion that Demas has deserted me, being in love with this present world, and has gone to Thessalonica. In love with the present world has deserted me, the Apostle Paul writes. That's about four years later. And here Demas just gets a a mention with no, everybody else gets something said about them. Demas is just mentioned in passing and Demas sends greetings. So that's Paul's colleagues who are with him. What about the friends that he's writing to? The other friends are those in the churches in Laodicea, particularly the Nympha which in the NIV and most modern versions is a female. It is disputed and it's not worth arguing about. Um, Give our greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church that meets in her house. He also mentions the church in Hierapolis. And he gets down to Archippus, verse 17. And he says to Archippus, who is, if you read Philemon, there's Philemon and his wife, Aphia, And their son, more than likely, is this guy, Archippus. And he might be also the pastor of the church in Colossae while Epaphras is away. And he says, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Was he being discouraged? Was he being distracted? Was he not firing on all cylinders? Whatever it was, see to it, Archippus, complete the ministry. Now notice... He didn't take the ministry to himself. It's something that he received from the Lord. The Lord called him to do something. And he was to complete that task. Well, that's true for all of us, isn't it? The Lord has called us to follow and to serve him. And then there was this wonderful reference in verse 16. After this letter has been read, the Colossians letter has been read to you, see to it that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn swap letters, that you read the letter from the church from Laodicea. Now you're probably asking, what's the letter to the Laodiceans? Well, it's very interesting, but it's not worth the time and energy in to pursue, to try to get resolution to the answers. We don't know. Two theories. One, it was another letter that Paul wrote that uh, we've lost, that we don't have anymore. That's probably unlikely, perhaps more likely. The letter to the Laodiceans, Laodiceans is the letter that we call the Ephesian letter. letter to the Ephesians? One reason only. Why would the Apostle Paul send greetings to the church in Laodicea when he's writing to the church in Colossae if he's written another letter to the church in Laodicea? Why wouldn't he put greetings in that letter? Why is it in this letter? Well if you read Ephesians, if Ephesians is the Laodicean letter then there are no greetings. And so he put his greetings to the church in Laodicea in this one. It's not worth pursuing, is it? No, I don't think so. The point to note is this. The Apostle Paul wanted his letters read in the assembly. Why? Number one, because not everybody was educated. Not everybody could read. So he wanted it read out loud so everybody could hear it. Second what did you read what do we read in church scripture what is the apostle Paul saying this is scripture read this letter it has authority it comes from me an apostle of Jesus Christ I'm writing to this to you and it has apostolic authority And that's another argument for the Laodicean letter being Ephesians. And then, as I've already alluded to, the Apostle Paul concludes with his own personal signature. He says, remember my chains. And as he always signs off on his letters, what impacted his life the most? And us? Grace. Grace to all. God's grace, his unmerited favour. Well, that's Paul's team. Let me give you some very quick applications. Um, Just like the Apostle Paul, we too serve on a diverse team. Paul's team was diverse. It was made up of Jew and Gentile men and probably women. People from different races and areas, different cultures. Three men are Jews, one is a doctor, one is a slave. Some are educated, some are uneducated. But they're all one team, all working together. Just like us now, we have Um, We now have, what, five, five and a half pastors. We're all different. No two of us are the same, which is actually good for the church because differences strengthen. That they have strengths where I have weaknesses, that some others have strengths where we have weaknesses and we balance and we help each other. But of course, it's just not up to the pastors. There's also the pastoral team, there's ministry leaders, and you in your ministry area with your team, you'll have people who have got differences. We embrace the differences. And I guess something that Andrew said this morning about making men. It's possible to be in the church, possible to be in this congregation for years and you don't know somebody. Well, you you don't know everybody, of course not. And you're not going to know everybody, even in this congregation. That's unrealistic. You might recognize a face, but you may not know their name. But don't use that as an excuse to not make the effort or the attempt what's worthwhile doing is deliberately targeting people who are not your type there's a challenge for us see we're naturally drawn to those people who are like us we feel comfortable and it's easier and so on but in the church of Jesus where the team is diverse where God has done it that way deliberately we ought to embrace that difference so if in your social group they're all white, Anglo-Saxon in their 40s or 50s. or we'll break out of it. Go talk to someone who is younger. Go talk to someone who is older. Go talk to someone who comes from a different nationality. Deliberately engage them. Get to know them. Look for them each week. Pray for them. Tell them your story. Hear their story. We can't do this alone. And the more we do that, the more we strengthen this network of relationships, the stronger the better we'll be as a church. So try that. There's a challenge for us. So if someone comes up to you and you've never met them before, that's because they think you're weird. (laughs) Those on the team, uh, part of the family of God, the team has people in it like John Mark who have failed in the past. It has people on it like Demas who are going to fail and there would be a disappointment in the future. I guess we should pause to mention that as you follow Jesus, expect disappointments. It's not all smooth sailing. There are ups and downs. You'll be upset, you'll be hurt, you'll be dumbfounded and bewildered sometimes that Christians can behave like that. Well, look to the Lord, keep your eyes on him. Some people will abandon you. They'll leave you. Some who have done that in the past will return. Keep serving the Lord. Focus on him. He is your master. Serve him. And I guess we should mention too, the church in Laodicea, healthy in Paul's day, 30 years later would receive a letter from John, from Jesus, through John, that they were self-sufficient, lukewarm church had declined over those 30 years something had gotten off track the church the team in Paul's day focused on prayer and the ministry of the word we should certainly do that and the gospel changes lives but here are two things that I just wanted to finish with this morning two questions for you to consider as we conclude our looking at this letter and this list of names who are you running with who's in your circle who's on your team you're hanging out with people who are having a negative impact upon you, that they're, you know, they see they're negative, they're always complaining. They, they could be sectarian in their, their view that it's their way and everybody else is wrong. Who's, who are you running with? Surround yourself with people who are going to be supporting and are going to help you to be on target when it comes to the gospel, people holding you account, stimulating you. Asking how you're traveling with the Lord Jesus. People come in and out of our church all the time, as they do in many all churches, I guess. People are looking for a crowd to run with. People are looking for people to hang out with. Who are you hanging out with? Or well, you are standing alone? If you're standing alone, you're in a dangerous position, as we've already said. Those who stand alone are the ones most likely to fall. And finally, as these people's names are written here in God's book, with various descriptions about all of them except Demas. What would be written next to your name if your name was in the book? And of course we need to remember this is not the only book of God. God has other books with your name in it. And he will be recording your works, your deeds. I wonder what will be written in that book that's worth thinking about what sort of a Christian are you are you a Christian are you following the Lord Jesus well you'll have opportunity this morning certainly to respond to that and if you would like someone to pray for you to talk to you about following the Lord Jesus we'd be more than happy to do so if you don't want to do it now but you'd like to do it during the week that's fine send us a text fill in a card make an appointment have a time You don't just have to talk to the pastors and talk to anybody who's a follower of the Lord Jesus. We're all on team together. Alpha's coming. If you need particular prayer for something, you are a follower or, or even not a follower of the Lord Jesus, doesn't matter, but life has delivered you a bad week, you've got bad news, you've got a burden, you've got an issue, you've got a crisis, you've got something happening for you. Nobody else knows about it. Well, Jesus does. And prayer, as we said with Epiphras, is powerful. Makes a difference. It can bring God's blessing into your life because somebody prayed. Don't go this morning without someone praying with you and for you. We're going to pray now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The gospel that transforms lives that's transforming our lives Lord I pray that you would minister to each of us at our point of need that you would help us to sift through all that we've heard this morning and to embrace to hang on to that aspect of truth that you want us to be working on to be adopting into our life Lord help us To be a support to others, but also to receive support from others. To be praying for and to be prayed for. Lord, knight us, lead us together as a diverse team for the effective work of your gospel in this area. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand. Let's stand together.